Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. And in John chapter 6, we find this occasion that so many people had gathered to listen to Jesus and they have been listening to him for a number of hours and it was coming towards dinner time. And Jesus turns to his disciples and says, let's go feed them. And the disciples go, no, we can't, which is absolutely ridiculous because when they were looking at the crowd, there were, what the Bible records is that there were 5,000 men. It doesn't include women and children. Some scholars say that that means that there were probably 10,000 people. A crowd of 10,000 people, you're talking about 2,000 years ago. There wasn't an amplification system. There wasn't anything that we have like right now in this morning. They, they, they were just out in this space, this open space, and 10,000 people had gathered to see Jesus preach, to see Jesus do amazing things. And Jesus wanted to feed them. The disciple says, no, we can't. But one of them says, well, I found this boy who had five loaves and two fish. I don't know whether the boy knew what was happening. Maybe he, just saw, he was just told, hey, you've got an audience with Jesus. Oh, cool. And next moment, Jesus takes this five loaves, two fish, breaks them up, and starts to multiply it so that every single person was fed, and there were still 12 baskets left over. This is what we call the feeding of the 5,000. We talk about this many times, but, um, but that's not all that happens in John chapter 6. Because the next moment, when these people found out what Jesus is capable of doing, they wanted to make him king. This is how invested they were in who this Jesus was. This is how amazing they thought this Jesus was. And they were like, let's make him king. Jesus was like, no, I don't want to be king. And he retreats to a secluded place. Next minute we find the disciples have found a boat. And they have gone uh, halfway into the lake. And then there was a bit of a storm arising and they were a bit scared. And... Jesus being Jesus does Jesus stuff. You know what I mean? Isn't it annoying when you read the Bible and you go like, they almost casually talk about what Jesus does sometimes. And it's like no human being can do that. Come on. You need to place a little bit more emphasis. This was crazy what was taking place. Jesus had taken five loaves and two fish, fed 10,000 people, and then next minute he was walking on water into the middle of this lake, in the middle of this storm, and the Bible also says that the moment Jesus got into the disciples' boat, they arrive magically at the other side. This is John chapter, this is all one chapter so far. This is only half of the chapter. This is absolutely wokening, or it should be to us, if you believe that the scripture records the truth, which I do, that in itself is crazy. But let me just say that I think that what happens next is even crazier. Because what happens is the crowds had slept over where Jesus preached the night before. And they had all, like, I can't, I can't even begin to imagine what this looked like. But 10,000 people, they weren't ready for this. They didn't bring food. They bring, Jesus had to feed them. I don't think they had, like, swags and, and tents. But they slept over because they were that hungry to continue to hear from Jesus, right? And they woke up and they discovered... Jesus isn't here. We have come from all over Israel to hear this guy preach. He preaches. He doesn't tell us where he's going to go. And he's not here. 
And so what they did is that they didn't just go home because they were disappointed that Jesus had finished his teaching. They actually proceed to try to find where Jesus is. I don't know how big this lake is, and I don't know how hard it would be to find a person who has kind of disappeared in that kind of a place, but it just says that this crowd started to search for Jesus. Can I just say something that as a preacher, you know that you have preached an amazing message when people have listened to you for a whole day, and then the next day they try to find you, and they want to hear you again. This has happened to me never. It's never. Like none of you have ever tried coming to find me the next day to say, can you teach me more about that pastor mate? Never. I'm kind of imagining this. How amazing it would be. It, unfortunately, Monday's our day off. So please don't do that. As much as I've just said that, please don't try to find me. It is weird. It's a bit stalkerish. I've got Instagram, Facebook, email. You can drop me a text message. I don't want to see you on Monday. But can you imagine what would have driven people to have pursued Jesus to that kind of extent? Because sometimes I don't even think that I've ever done that to Jesus. Sometimes I know that God has done a lot for me, but I don't know if I've had that kind of hunger for God, and these people did. Which makes what happens next extremely interesting to me because these guys, they came to Jesus, they found Jesus, and they said, Rabbi, when did you get here? The word rabbi is a very specific word. It's a word that they use for teachers of the law. It's a word that they use for people that they were literally going to model their lives after. This is the level of respect and honor they were giving to Jesus. And so they come to Jesus, they said, Rabbi, when did you get here? And this is Jesus' response. It's found in John chapter 6. Sorry about that. John chapter 6, verse 26. It says this, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed the seal of approval. That's interesting because if any of you actually truly wanted to know more about what I had to say about God and found me, I probably wouldn't say to you, you're only here because morning tea was that good. If I'm having a really bad day, I might. But more than likely, you would have stroked my ego sufficiently for me to say, oh, you're too kind. Come, sit down. Let's talk about what I have to talk about Jesus. Because I know all about Jesus. And this is so great. Thank you. Jesus said, you're only here because I fed you last night. Which is a little bit insulting. Because those people had left their homes, their businesses, possibly even their families for a couple of days to find Jesus, to hear him speak, and to perform signs in the first place. Jesus disappears, and they continue to search for him. Just looking to fill their stomachs, but Jesus said, You're only here because you want to have another feed. That's what they were saying. And then they proceed to have this back and forth, which you can read for yourself, where they were like, Well, 
um, what do we need to do to get the real eternal food? Because Jesus said that you should search for eternal food. And, and Jesus was like, well, I am that food. And they were like, how can you be the food? And they go on and on. Let me just read to you. Towards the end of this discussion, it says in verse 53, Very truly I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, which was a title that Jesus used on himself, he was the Son of Man, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in a synagogue of Capernaum. This reading on, this was the response when they heard what Jesus had to say. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. In verse 66, we read the final response of many of the people that came. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Why I say that this is more mind-blowing to me is because of what Jesus is trying to teach. In verse 66, when it says that from this time on, it didn't say the people who had just found Jesus found him too offensive and decided to leave. They didn't say the people who had rocked up to lift on a Sunday morning because there was a baby dedication on and they decided to come in and see what it was all about. They heard Jesus for the first time and said, you are too offensive. I'm never coming back here again. It's not that kind of people that we're talking about. We're talking about what the Bible calls disciples. We're talking about people who have probably committed themselves to following Jesus, His example, and His teaching. They were being discipled by Him in order to be like Him. In other words, we are talking about people who have been lived for more than a couple of weeks, maybe more than six months, more than 12 months. He said, you want to be part of this house. You want to get planted. You want to know more about Jesus. You want to know what it's like. You, you've been listening to teaching after teaching. You've been asking questions and you've been wanting to grow. But in this moment, that kind of person, listen to what Jesus had to say about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And they said, I am never coming back here Again, why was that taking place? That is what I want to focus on in the time that I have left because I started to realize that in our lives, there are two main ways that we can approach uncomfortable situations. And the way that we approach these uncomfortable situations, one of these methods processes that we use is going to cause us to stagnate or maybe even turn away but another process is going to cause us to grow exponentially 
There are two pathways, and I want to uncover these with you. See, a few weeks ago, I was reading uh, a neuroscientist. She writes this blog, and she uh, writes about really interesting things. And this article in particular talked about how she was concerned about uh, the psychological world, uh, the, the, the research world, the, the practice of helping people with mental health uh, and emotional health. And, and she wrote about how she was worried because there were too many practitioners that were looking into diseases instead of disorders. They were trying to treat diseases rather than to treat disorders. And I was reading that and I was like, what are you talking about? Because in my understanding, in, in the way that I approach life, diseases and disorders are the same thing, right? You know what I mean? You, go to, people are sh you, you guys are smarter than me. Who wants to preach this message? Pastor Beck, or front of the class, teacher's pet. But we, we have these two words, disease and disorder, and we probably somewhat interchangeably use them. But as I was thinking about it and I was thinking about how these words were constructed, they both have this prefix dis, D-I-S, in front of it. What does it mean? It means that the rest of the word that follows, you're talking about the opposite of it. And this ease, therefore, means a lack of ease. But somehow we've just said, so it sounds like disease. Disease, it's not dis-ease, which is what it's originally intended to be. And we have made disease something like an illness, an external factor that, that causes us this discomfort that needs to be pushed away, dealt with. Does that make sense? When in actual fact, disease was created as a word that talked about how right now, I'm not feeling at ease at all. I do not have any ease. I'm feeling uncomfortable. In fact, you go back to the original word and it was a synonym for inconvenient. Disease was used originally in the same kind of way as inconvenient. I can say what you have done has severely inconvenienced me or I could say what you have done has severely diseased me. That is how that word was originally used, but now we've created it as though it is this third party, something different, something external that is trying to attack us and pull us down. And when we try to deal with dis-ease as though it is simply something external, what we do is that we try to push it away. And we can see that in John chapter 6 because as Jesus had been teaching them for a day and a half, as they have been trying to follow Jesus, some of these people have probably been following Jesus for far longer than that. They weren't offended at all by what was taking place, but they came to this moment where Jesus said to them, does this offend you? And I want us to realize that disease is a very dangerous process if we allow it to take its full effect. Let's just draw out what happens when we feel diseased. When we feel diseased, we avoid it. We feed something that I'm going to call the avoidance machine. And avoidance sometimes is a legitimate response and it is a good response. If someone is coming at you with a knife, completely out of their mind and trying to kill you and you're feeling a little bit diseased about the situation, 
You can avoid it. I give you full permission. Run. Do something. Get out of there. That is okay. But let me just tell you something that I've learned about avoidance. See, especially when it comes to anxiety, avoidance is actually the worst thing you can do. Let me unpack this for you. See, anxiety in, uh, what, what happens about anxiety is that anxiety is a perceived threat that could possibly happen in the future. Not now, future. And um, what happens when we feel anxious is that unfortunately our emotions don't know how to differentiate between something that is future and something that is now. So even though your anxiety is focused on something in the future, you're feeling it now and is a present threat for your emotions. We're going to be talking a lot about emotions in the month of March. We're calling that series Untangling Emotions. It is going to be one of the most practical, one of the most useful, one of the most freeing things that you need to hear. So come back next month um, because it's going to be amazing. You've got Lift Talk Flyers. We're going to be getting some specialists to talk about stress and anxiety. It's going to be amazing. There's a plug for next month. Come back. Come back, Nate. Where am I? Anxiety future now. Yes, so you're feeling anxious and it's a threat that is supposed to be about the future, but you're feeling it now. And when you feel anxious, one of the uh, 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 solutions that you can choose is to avoid. So let me give you a very practical example. Someone who has fear of flying. You have this trip that is supposed to be coming up, and you really want to go on this trip, but you just get really scared about flying. And so you book the flights, and immediately the anxiety sets in. I don't like flying. Flying equals death. You know, you, you sense that. That's, that's the, what the emotions are telling you in the moment. Even though your flight is six months' time, you will be feeling it right now. You get what I mean? That's anxiety. That's how anxiety works. And so what a person that develops phobias, what they tend to do is that they'll avoid. They'll cancel the flight. The moment, in this moment, the threat is six months. But in this moment, I cancel the flight now. Right? What happens? You feel relief. You have dealt with the disease. And what happens in your mind, I've actually got a picture, a little chart of a cycle of anxiety. There we go. You can read that for yourself. You escape and you avoid. You get this short-term relief, but what happens in your mind is actually building the anxiety. Why? Because you now, your mind now logs in that that threat is absolutely 100% real. It doesn't know how to perceive it in any other way. Your avoidance has taught yourself that flying is a real danger and to stay away from it. In fact, what studies have shown is that the more you use avoidance, the greater the anxiety becomes. So much so that you might be scared of flying at one stage, but the next time you hear an aeroplane's engine flying across the sky, you get anxious as well. Airports freak the hell out of you. You do not want to come anywhere close to it. There's an aeroplane scene in a movie. Turn that crap off because I'm feeling anxious right now. Avoidance becomes a machine that rolls on, never dealing with the issue, but always dealing with the disease. Our culture tells us that perceiving anything as a disease to be avoided is natural. And so we come up with terms like, I'm an introvert and social situations are never good for me. 
guess what? I am an introvert. Social situations sometimes aren't that great for me, but generally speaking, they are really good. And so Beck had an engagement party yesterday, and because she's in the bridal party, she had to be there from 3 o'clock to 8 o'clock. It's a really long time for an introvert to be around people he doesn't know. I spoke about this phenomenon about how Beck has friends from this tiny little school called TCC where they have this bubble world that Nate doesn't have any friends in. And Beck found two friends and she chatted with them for five hours. So what does introvert Nate do? Instead of avoiding the situation altogether, I'll go for three hours. No, in fact, two hours, three, three hours. I did three hours, Beck. Aren't you proud of me? I did not avoid because this is important for me. And the more I step away from using avoidance, the more, this isn't so bad. TCC people aren't atrocious. Some of them are nice and actually ask me questions. And we talked about things that I didn't mind talking about. Like we talked about chicken treat and how they were disappearing from the face of our planet. That was fine. I enjoyed that conversation. But you know what? Some people, and I would, a lifetime ago, say, no, nah, not doing that. Because that's making me feel diseased. Think about the things that you are running away from. Think about the things that you are walking away from. Think about the things that you're turning away from. Do they truly hold a danger that you think it does? Or is it simply your disease telling you that? These disciples who have been following Jesus who had been chasing after Jesus, had a moment where Jesus said some stuff that they didn't like. And in that moment, they chose the avoidance machine, walked away, and never came back again. I put forward to you that maybe Jesus is the Lord of your disease. I put forward to you that maybe Christian, maybe disciple, Maybe a person who has a genuine desire to chase after God, that disease isn't as bad as we think it is. That disease isn't as crippling and damaging and a danger to us. Maybe some of us need to stop avoiding our disease and start pressing in. And why do I say that? Is because there is something else that we need to realize. When Jesus was saying, are you offended? He continued to share. And he said, what I am sharing with you right now is spirit-bringing words. Wrong. Not the right way of saying it. Life-bringing words. Let's read it because I just totally stuffed that up. Jesus said in verse 61, does this offend you? Then when you... Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. The very same words that were offensive were the very same words that brought life. Because sometimes our disease is there to show us that there is a disorder deep within our souls. And that is what this psychologist was talking about with disease and disorder. Disorder means the lack of order. God has created us specifically in a way that brings life. And when we open this Bible, this book, it contains words that sometimes we don't agree with, sometimes we don't like, but it truly contains 
words that brings a reordering into our lives in order that we can experience the life that God has for us. And so when we feel dis-ease by Jesus' words, maybe what He's trying to do is to show us that there is a disorder inside of our hearts. When we go to a doctor, what we do is that we present our diseases to the doctor, but what He's trying to solve shouldn't just be your disease, it should be your disorder. When you come to Him with a stomach, a gastro bug, He is not just simply trying to make your stomach feel good. He's trying to get rid of a bug that is causing your whole stomach system to get out of whack and out of order so that it's not functioning the way it should. And then he gives us drugs or something in order to fix that. And that's what that psychologist was talking about, mental health. He's saying so many times you are looking for drugs to get you to feel better, but there's a disorder inside of your soul that you're not dealing with. The depression won't just go because of drugs. It can be aided by drugs, but you need to get into that place of that disorder. So why was Jesus' word so offensive? I think we are colored a little bit by some of the traditions that we have when we see Jesus saying, eat my, uh, eat my flesh and drink my blood, we think communion. Let's just have communion, we have this little cracker, why are you guys making such a big deal of Jesus saying we eat crackers and drink Ribena? Why are you turning away from Jesus? He's giving you another free meal. Not really, a little snack. Morning tea. Because what Jesus was actually saying, if I can paraphrase it, because I think that culturally speaking, we, we, we don't always get what is going on. See, when Jesus saw these guys and he was saying, you just came to me for a free feed, I think what he was trying to say is that you're only coming here because you've got appetites that you want to fulfill. It wasn't so much about having another feast of bread and fish. It was more about the fact that they were following him because they were having certain appetites fulfilled. And he was saying, I don't just fulfill your appetites. I reorder your appetites. I, I don't just make you feel better about yourself. I reorder the way that you see yourself. I don't just deal with the fact that you were a sinner one day and I'm teaching you behavior management. I'm giving you a new heart. I'm giving you new desires. I'm writing my commands on your heart so that you understand my will and you can understand how to live. And these people were gone. I like that salvation stuff. I like the healing stuff. I like the freedom stuff, but you don't get all of my heart. Christian, when Jesus says that you only invite me in if you say that I am your Lord and Savior, how many of us are taking Savior but not Lord? How many of us are truly going through this process of reordering our lives in order that we can find life. See, next week I want to talk about disorders that we need to deal with. I feel like for this, us this year, there are a few things that we really call for us to work on as a church. I'm not talking about this being something so like we need to fix it right now, but I'm talking about this drawing awareness. Remember, Jesus 
had these guys as disciples. They had followed him for a while. He taught them about salvation, about the kingdom, about what God was wanting to do for them. It was only after they said, yes, I want to follow you. He said, okay, well, you want to follow me? There's also this stuff that you need to know. It's a process. So why should we commit ourselves to this process? Why? I've been reading this book, and it's called A War of Loves. It is an absolutely brilliant book. It's a book that's really challenging me. And it's crazy because of the context of this book. You can, I, literally, I think everyone should read it. Because it's written by an ex-gay activist. A person who, um, who lived as a full-on, uh, the gay lifestyle. And um, he encounters God. And he talks extremely openly about the journey about what happens after that. And he talks openly. He doesn't talk about it in the way that you must do this. He simply writes it as a, this is what I went through. And he talks about the struggles coming to terms with churches that didn't want him there. Talk about a world that didn't accept him either. And talked about how God continued to pursue him. But in the midst of the struggles, in the midst of what he was discovering, he, he got to this moment, and I want to read to you some of the words that he wrote in this book. And he says this, I need to let God be God. After all, if he thinks exactly like me, is he really God or am I just making him in my own image? Some of us are not Christians because we haven't been following God We've just been looking into our own heart and say, what would I like God to be like? And when I read those words, it felt like a punch in the guts because I was like, how do I treat God? How, how, how do I treat God? See, while there was a whole bunch of disciples that left Jesus never to come back, there were 12 that didn't. Jesus said to them, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus said, verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. How many of us in the midst of our disease, in the midst of what we don't like about what God is saying, would dare to continue to say, but you still hold life. You still hold truth. You are God. And I'm not. If you treat life as a series of diseases to get rid of, you will never find the order that truly brings life. And that is a sequence of events that we need to think through and each of us in this moment, perhaps you can even think about certain diseases that have caused you to run. But in this moment, God is highlighting to you real truth, real order, that you can experience life. See, I don't follow God because of what I get. I follow God because He is God. I follow God because I've realized that I'm not the Creator. I've realized that I can't do this by myself. I've realized that without God, there is no purpose and meaning to anything that I do. Literally, 
You might as well just go get drunk. Oh, hang on. Getting drunk is just another way of avoiding the fact that there's something empty inside of you. Let's just go around and sleep around. Hang on. Isn't that just avoidance for the fact that there's a lack of intimacy inside of your heart? Let's go on missions and do all this charitable work. Isn't that just a front to make sure that there's some kind of purpose that there is, but is there really any? All of this stuff that we do to try to find meaning and we're avoiding the fact that maybe, just maybe there is a God who created you. Maybe there's a God who put you together for a specific reason and a purpose and He's trying to get through to you in order to show you how your life can be ordered in a way that true life can begin. That was my journey. I grew up as a Christian. I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up going to church probably in week three of my life. I probably got dedicated on some stage. I don't remember it. I got baptized before I even have any memories. I think I was baptized at six. I got a terrible memory. But I did all of those things. And even so, I never met God truly. And there was a whole decade of my life, and I honor my parents for setting up the foundation that I could come back to, but there was a whole decade of my life where I thought that I could make it by myself. I thought that I could make sense of my life, and I thought that I could piece everything together in order that I could experience fulfillment. At the end of that decade, all I found was emptiness. All I found was disappointment. All I found was that I'm not good enough to make any of this happen. And in the middle of that, I went, there must be something more. C.S. Lewis puts it in this way, if I find in myself desires that nothing in this world can satisfy, maybe I have been created for something more. Let me tell you, it's not maybe. You have been created for something more. We can get the band up on stage this morning. We're about to close in just a few moments, thank you for listening. And I hope that this hasn't been a, a message about your pastor cracking the whip. But genuinely, it's because I have come to this decision that I, I don't care if you feel diseased by my words. If it means that you are going to reorder your life. I'm more concerned about the fact that we can go to church we can do the Christian thing, but still be living disordered lives. Lives that don't work. Lives that don't go anywhere. I don't want that. And I look at the example of Jesus, who is the epitome of grace and truth. And he didn't shy away from the fact that sometimes there are things that happen that you're not going to like. There are things that are not going to make sense, maybe, completely. And there are things that are just going to jar against you. But it's going to bring life. That's my prayer this morning. First thing I would like to do is to talk to people that perhaps you've been searching. You've been that person that's like, I want to find out what my life is meant to be all about. I have this deep chasm, this emptiness inside of my soul and I've been trying to fill it up. I've been putting a smile on my face. I've been putting a mask on my face. I've been trying to make it seem like I know what's going on. But deep inside, at night when there's no one around, 
there is this emptiness that is gnawing on the inside. It's just biting and it just, it's there. You try many different things to fill it, but it doesn't work. Or maybe God's created that desire for something more than nothing in this world could ever satisfy. Perhaps He's saying to you right now, yes, following me means that you give me all of your heart. It's a process and it's a relationship and we can work this out. But right now, there's something inside of you that's already stirring and you're sensing God's presence is ministering to you and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and saying, you have been created on purpose you are no accident you are loved you are accepted you have got purpose you have got meaning you have got so much more than you could ever imagine some of you are hearing these words and you want to believe it let me just say to you you can step out of that discomfort and say yes God I need this if that's you this morning and maybe not to the degree that I have exhibited, but maybe there's just something inside of you that says, I want to know more. I want to go on this journey. If I can get everyone just to close your eyes and to bow your head, I want to lead everyone into this prayer. If that's you, why don't you just really attach your faith, attach your belief to these words and say this after me. Dear Jesus, I need you. Nothing in this world can ever satisfy. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. I invite you into my life. Show me how to live. Amen. If that's you that said that prayer this morning, I love that the Bible gives us the assurance that if we believe in our hearts and confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord, that day salvation is yours. I love it that God gives so freely. And you've also just begun a journey. And we've got Bibles at the back of the auditorium. They look a little bit like this one here. And we got it as a gift for you. It explains to you a lot about who this Jesus is and what this life is all about. A couple of little booklets in there that we put together or purchased in order to help you on this journey. And that's available for you as a gift. But this morning, can we stand? I'm literally about to finish and close off. But I want you just to have this moment to get rid of all your expectations, to get rid of everything that you're thinking about. And in this moment, I want you to just come to Jesus and ask Him, what would you say to me? What would you say to me right now? Because I feel like God just wants to draw people close. There's so many people that have been running away, but in this moment, God is here. God is wanting to speak with you. Holy Spirit is highlighting things to you. And I believe that you can experience God in a fresh and a new way. I want to respect your time, so I'm going to close in prayer. But what's going to happen after that, the band's going to lead us in this song. You can head off into the foyer. We've got some morning tea. We would love to see you there. Remember to sign up for prayer circles, that you can be a part of a community that prays and praises together. And that's amazing. That's all in the foyer available for you. But if you want to stay and you want to just hear from God, you want to stop running from God, if you want someone to pray with you, we're going to be here. But the band's going to lead us in that song. Just set the atmosphere for what God is wanting to do. But let me just close in prayer. Dear God, I thank you that you are the one that chases us. You're the one that orders our steps and you're the one that knows how to appear and to speak into our hearts. 
And I pray that this morning that you are speaking, that this morning you are drawing, this morning you are pulling people close. And I pray that you are doing a work that we won't push away, that we won't avoid. I thank you, God, that you are amazing, that your love for us is so real, so tangible, so strong that nothing could ever separate us from it. So I thank you, Jesus, and I pray this in your name. Amen. It's the end of our experience. The band's going to lead us in this song. You can head off to the foyer if you want. But if you just want to linger, wait, and hear from God, the band's going to lead us. If you want prayer because you feel like God's drawing closer to you and there's stuff that needs to be dealt with, the team's going to be here, the elders are going to be here to pray for you. Thanks so much, church. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.